0: And so, uh, man, that's just good news. And Jesus said, go preach the good news. So I want to share some things with you today. Probably uh, to a lot of you, it's not anything new, but it's true. And there's something about the Word of God that when the Spirit of God brings it to our heart, every single part of the Word of God is living. The Bible says it's living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability, because it's alive, no matter whether you've heard it before or not, to penetrate past your soul and into your spirit man, because the word is spirit and it's life. Everybody say life. We're celebrating life today, and the Word of God is spirit in its life. It goes past your emotions. It goes past your just the, the thinking about what uh, the day holds, and it penetrates to bring the eternal life and the rev- revelation of the eternal life that God has. So whether or not it's new to you or not, it's true, and as we're growing, it is still Uh, powerful and transformative. It says that the word of God will even go to the joint and the marrow. The Bible says that he sent his word and he healed them. There's something about the word of God that not only penetrates, but it's alive and it's powerful and it it can work even in the midst of your mortal body. It says that the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And so even where the Bible says that we can possibly deceive ourselves, when the Word of God comes, it begins to show up things so that we don't end up deceiving ourselves, but we actually see, and it showed up, really what the intention is that we might really live our life in a way that is so sincere before God that God is able to do all that he declared that he would do and is doing through Jesus Christ. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter says this. It says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him in baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united, everybody say united. If we've been united together in the likeness of, de- of his death, certainly we also shall be united. Somebody say united. united. We shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This morning, I want to talk to you about this power union. This power union. Many times we talk about people with a power union, but sometimes in the body of Christ, we're either looking at the death or the resurrection, but he said that first of all, if we're united or we're in union with his death, then we also shall be in the union, in union with his resurrection. And there's something incredibly powerful about knowing how we come to the cross and the death of Jesus Christ and what it meant to us, but that we go all the way through the cross to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the definition of our life as Christians is that we now are alive with him and we live a life that is full and and full of who he is, full of what he's done for us and a life that is free from the sin that kept us separate from him and kept us bound in a way of life that really wasn't the fullness or didn't give us the freedom to fulfill our eternal destiny that God had placed upon us. So I want to talk about first the power of his death or the power of the cross. And first of all, when we look at it, the power of the cross was this. The power of the cross revealed God's love for us. The power of the cross is really that it revealed God's love for us. There's so many people even today, maybe you're in this room and you're saying, with everything that's going on around me, I wonder, does God really love me? And if God really loves me, then why are these things happening? And we begin to look temporary at today and say, if God loves me, why is this happening? Instead of looking back at the power of the cross and knowing that God does love me. No matter what's going on around me, God has already Proven his love for me. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, says this. For when we were still without strength. Have you ever felt like, you know, the pressure of the day? I just don't know if I have any more strength. I just feel wore out. But it doesn't matter where you are as far as your strength. God sees you. And it says, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died For the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated. Somebody say demonstrated. Demonstrated. Come on, we're wondering, does God love me? But openly in front of the whole world, he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were apart from him, because of sin, because of trespass. Many times we didn't know him. Many times we didn't even care if we knew him. You may be here today and say, I'm not sure. I'm just here. It's Easter Sunday. Somebody brought me. I'm not sure that it bothers me that I don't know him, but it bothers him that you don't know him in the way that he knows you. And he said, I'm going to show you how much I love you and want to want you to know me and to love me. I'm sending Jesus to the cross to die for you. That love, when it's manifested to you, is one of the most powerful forces in all of the universe that God, the creator of the universe, so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that if we would put our belief and our trust in him, we wouldn't perish. We wouldn't live our life hopelessly and die without him. But we would live our life with purpose. And when we leave this life, we'll forever be with him in a place called heaven. First John chapter 4 and verse 9 says this, In this, the love of God was manifested. Somebody say Manifested. Come on, I'm just trying to settle in us. Sometimes people say, I wonder if God loves me. If God loves me, you are always asking a question instead of saying, since God loves me. Well, how do you know God loves you? He already manifested it. He already brought it into the open. When Jesus died on Golgotha's hill, it was wide open to everybody. It was right there in front of God, in front of people, in front of the devil. It was open. His guilt, his shame, really our guilt, our shame resting upon him was there for the whole world to see uh, in heaven and in earth and below the earth. He manifested and said, I don't care what has been done in the past. I love humanity so much that I'm going to send my son. And the only price that could be paid is his spotless blood. And Jesus said, I'll do it. His love was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might through him, through him, in this love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and he sent his son as the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son for the sacrifice for our sin. So the first idea or the first thought of the power of the cross is that God's love for us was revealed. It's not just a religious idea, but it's a manifestation of love for all the earth. The second thing that happened in the power of the cross is sin was destroyed. The power of sin was destroyed by the power of the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4 says this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities The chastisement of our peace laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Everything that he did, everything that he endured, everything that came upon him, the beating that he took when he laid over that whipping post, when he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, He was bearing the shame that sin brought into our life. He was bearing, when he was nailed to the cross, he was bearing our guilt of the sin in his own body on the tree. Where we were sick, he died and bore in his body that pain so that we might be healed. Where we were sinners, he bore the punishment of that iniquity in his body because he was at work paying the price to destroy sin. Says this in Romans, uh, the eighth chapter. I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. It says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the, of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. It says what the law couldn't do what us trying to fulfill the law could never do. Because of sin, Jesus came in a physical body and bore that sin and broke the power of that sin in his own body. The Message Bible says it like this. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. Come on, if you go for the jugular, you're looking to end it once and for all. So he didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now... What the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts simply embrace what the spirit is doing in us. Jesus came and died on the cross to break the power that sin had over humanity and over our individual lives. I like this. uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Jesus... "...had totally destroyed the power of Satan, of sin, and of death. The champion accepted the challenge to do battle for our soul's redemption against all foals. He met sin, horrible, terrible, all but omnipotent sin nailed him to the cross. But in that deed, Christ nailed sin also to the tree." They were both, uh, they, there they both did hang together. There they both did hang together. Sin and sin's destroyer. Come on, they both hung there together. Our sin and sin's destroyer, Jesus. Sin destroyed Christ and by the destruction, by that destruction, Christ destroyed sin. Come on, it looks like an ugly picture. But at the same time, as gruesome as the cross was and the death of Jesus Christ, something beautiful was being done in the fact that sin, which disfigured humanity in the way that God had created them for fellowship and righteousness, sin had disfigured that. And all that came on Jesus and he was disfigured and he was beaten and he was bruised and it was all for us, but it was right there that our sin came upon him. And at that moment, what couldn't be comprehensible to man, the sin that was resting upon him, he was destroying in that same moment to break the power of sin over our lives that we truly might be free to walk in relationship with God and fulfill our divine destiny. Third thing that happened with the power of the cross is the price was paid. The price was paid. Something needed to be paid for. Our sin took place and it had to be paid for. And there was only one way to pay for our sin was through righteousness, was through an innocent sacrifice. And so Jesus came, and he lived a sinless life. He was the Lamb of God, spotless and without sin for one reason, so that he could pay the price necessary for our life to be redeemed to God. Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 7, the New Living Translation says this, He's so rich in, mercy, he's so rich in kindness and grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and he forgave our sin. The Message Bible says it like this. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are free people. Free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. Come on, the debt's been paid. We're no longer, the Bible says, we're no longer debtors to our flesh. We're no longer debtors to the mistakes that we've made because Jesus, from his own blood, paid the price and redeemed our life. That word redeemed means to ransom. You were a slave of sin. I was a slave of sin, and he came and he paid the price. He laid down the price and said, listen, I'll buy their life back from the slavery of sin and the domination of sin, and I will bring them over into my life. And I will rule and reign over their life and give them freedom to fulfill their divine destiny as they make me Lord of their life. Jesus. It's a powerful thing to understand that Jesus really came and he paid the price for redemption. And the last thing I want to talk about, certainly there's so much power of the cross, but time would, we, you know, what I'm trying to share with you today could be, uh, you know, two, three week, four week series For a normal preacher, it'd be eight or nine for me. Um, So we're encapsulizing a lot in a little bit of time. But I believe it's important for us to be reminded or to know the power of the cross. And we're celebrating the resurrection, but we're going backwards to Good Friday to come forward to Sunday. And the fourth thing to know about the power of the cross is it's a finished work. It's a finished work. What Jesus did on the cross is a finished work. And so here in John chapter 19 and verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine but, uh, and put, hyssop, put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is Finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. See, Jesus was hanging there, and he didn't say, you know what? I need a drink right now. I'm thirsty. I need a drink to prolong my life just a little bit longer. No, he wasn't looking for that. He said, I need a drink. I need, my my, my mouth is so dry. It's so parched. I can't speak. I need just a little bit so I can make this last declaration. It is Finished. As we read the translation, we read three words, but in the Greek it was one word, one powerful word to tell us to die To die And that word has so much meaning uh, to it. Again, I want to read this if I can find it. Oh, it's probably on the last page. You all know how well I work with notes. Praise the Lord. This is what Charles Spurgeon said once again. He says, speaking of this word, tetelestai, an ocean of meaning in a drop of language. Just a mere drop. I would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is Finished is the most charming note in all Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due, his, due to his people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. He's speaking of this one word, tetelestai, and this t- word tetelestai has five really different meanings to it. And the the first meeting was this, that if a servant was out in the field and he had been given his list of tasks to do over the day or over the week, he would have to come in like we might come in with a a time card, but he would have his list of things done and he would stamp that or he would write across what he needed to do to tell us die, to tell us die, which means the work is finished. The work is finished. Another meaning of this work word to Testy was that if a prisoner was arrested, they would take him and they would put him in a cell, and on the outside of that cell or above that cell, they would list all of the crimes that that prisoner had committed. And so it was about he's in here because he did this, this crime or he stole from this person or whatever. And then as his sentence was coming to an end, It would be brought back to the judge to make sure that his sentence had been paid. And so at the end of that, the judge would take that list of offenses that he had done and the judge would take that thing and he would stamp it to telestai, meaning the sentence has been paid. And the importance of that is, is that when, when the prisoner would go out to get a job or be out in public, he would pull out that piece of paper. And when people said, well, now wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be in prison? Didn't you commit this crime? He would present from the judge or the magistrate this list of offenses with tetelestai. Wow. The sentence has been paid. Justice has been Served. Justice has been served. Come on. It's also this word, to tetelestai. Praise the Lord. I got to make sure I get all of them in here. So this word, to tetelestai, if you were an accountant and you were dealing with somebody's books and their, the notes that they had uh, uh, upon a certain thing, when your note was paid, when your debt was paid, the accountant or the banker, whoever you owed the money to, would then take that note and they would stamp it, Tetelestai. The debt has been paid. Come on. Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, Tetelestai, Tetelestai. Telestai. When an artist was painting and he was doing a work of art and, and you know every brush stroke and every place going and people are watching as this painting develops and he's looking back at it as, as he's, he's doing the artwork and filling in all the pieces and somebody might come and say that's a great piece of art and he might say "Wait, wait a minute it's not even done yet. Because our natural eye may say, you know what, Uh, boy, that looks great, but the artist knows exactly what he's trying to do, what the masterpiece will take to make it unique from all other pieces of art that he's making. He wants it to be perfectly done, and when he's done the last brush stroke, when he's done the last detail, then he will say to Telestai, the masterpiece is finished. The fifth meaning of this word is when the priest would go and they would sacrifice the lamb or the bull or the goat on the altar. And the sacrifice was made and it was laid upon the altar. And it's there burning and sometimes we think, well, we brought the sacrifice, but the priest would not just say, okay, there. But when the the, the sacrifice was fully consumed, the, the sacrifice was fully burnt up, then the priest would say, Tetelestai, the sacrifice has been offered. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus, hanging there on the cross, he said, to Tetelestai, the work has been done. The debt has been paid. The masterpiece is finished. The sacrifice is offered, and justice has been served. It is finished. Come on, the enemy will try to say, yeah, it's not finished for you. You still have this. You still have this misdeed. You still have this guilt. You still know you did this. But when you look at the power of the cross, the power of the cross says it's done to tell us it is finished man what a moment when he hung on the cross what a moment for every single one of us to know the power and understand that when jesus said it is finished Whatever sin brought against you, whatever accusation the accuser of the brethren would bring against you today in your mind that would make you feel inadequate, make you feel like you don't measure up, make you feel like you can't go another day, Jesus said, don't listen to that. I've paid the debt. The work is finished. The masterpiece is done. Come on, justice has been served. There is no accusation of the accuser that can override what he has done on the cross to pay your debt. He served justice. The penalty's been served. He was the sacrificial lamb offered from the foundation of the world for the forgiveness of our sin. And we'll get caught in this whether you've been a Christian for a long time, a short time or you've not yet accepted Jesus Christ, the enemy will try to accuse you of mistakes that you've made and say that you can't go on. And until you do something to fix that and pay the debt, you'll be unable to really attain. But he said, listen, you could never do this anyway. Jesus did it for you. And so instead of trying to figure it all out and work it all out and have all this consternation, just go to the cross and accept what Jesus paid for you. Accept the blood sacrificed for you. Accept that justice was served for you, and you are forgiven. And then you can look at the enemy when he accuses you and say, no, 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 no. To it's already been finished for me. And so we know this place. Jesus did all of that, and they took him down from the cross, and they carried him. To Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and they laid him in the tomb. And for many of us, we understand the meaning of that tomb is because when Jesus was laid in that tomb, that tomb was a place of hopelessness. I mean, it was a place of death. It's done. Really, you know, he said, it is finished, and many people are like, yeah, it's finished, he's dead, he's in the tomb. And so that place of the tomb is a place of hopelessness. You might feel like you're hopeless in your marriage. Maybe your children have gone away from God, and you think it's just hopeless. You might have a situation in life that you just think this is hopeless. And that's really, you know, the place of the tomb. It's a place of hopelessness, and it's all over, and I can't go another day. There's not anything left to be done, but I'm just telling you, Sunday is coming, Come on, Sunday's coming. Jesus had to go into the tomb because in that place of hopelessness, he was bearing all of our hopelessness where the enemy says it's over. You can never come back from this. You've made such a mistake. How are you ever going to come back? But thank God for the power of the resurrection and the power of the cross because he brings an end to it. And it may say, well, it's all over and I'm hopeless. But no, Sunday's coming and there's the power of the resurrection for every one of us. Never say that it's hopeless. Never say that it won't work out because when you get Christ in the middle of it, the price has been paid for the mistakes and the power of the resurrection gives you brand new hope for a new life in him and a brand new start with him and the power that he has to live it through. Praise the Lord. And so after he was laid in the tomb, he was there executing work. As the Bible says, conquering death, hell, and the grave. But the day that we celebrate right now, Easter, don't you just love Easter? I love this day. I mean, we have Easter every single day, right? But we come together to say, He is risen. He is risen. And Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, listen, there's one thing that I want to do. I've achieved great things. Paul was, was talking there. He said, "I, I am, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I, I have got, I, I'm a doctor. I mean, I've studied all my life. He said, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. He had about every high level of education certificate you can get. And he ran into Jesus one day. Come on, all you need is one encounter with the risen Christ. And he didn't just say, I'll throw that all away. He said, I ran into something that all my life I was searching for in my, my accolades, in my diplomas, in my trophies, in my education, in my acceptance from my peers. He said, what I was searching for and thought I was fulfilling, one day I ran into Jesus. And when I ran into Jesus, all of that stuff in comparison... Not that it didn't have some fulfillment, but in comparison to meeting Jesus. Come on, just wrap your head around this for a moment. Man, I'm trying to get all this stuff in life. Look at, look at my trophies. Look at what I've accomplished in life. But you just meet Jesus and you say, wow. None of that even compares. Paul made this comparison. It's like dung. All that stuff that the world looks at and says, this is it. I've achieved. He said, not that you haven't achieved, but in comparison to meeting Jesus, it's like dung. It's like nothing. There's words I can use, but I won't. We're in church today. Come on. If we could just have that encounter with Jesus and say, I've worked all my life just trying to get to the place that I want to, but because he paid the debt and justice was served and he's my savior and he loves me so much. When I ran into him, I said, what have I been striving for all my life to be noticed by men? I have been noticed by the God of the universe. I have been loved by the savior of the world. Man. Man. Thank God for my education, but it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And he said, since I've run into him and found out he's the greatest thing in the world, my quest in life is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Because he didn't just raise from the dead for nothing. He raised from the dead so that we might be raised with him. And the first thing about the power of his resurrection is it has the power to bring you into a brand new life, a brand new life, the old life that you are living under sin, the mistakes that you are making, that you feel like they'll always be a part of your life. The blood washes and the blood cleanses. And he promises you that with him, you can begin a brand new life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. When we realize the resurrection, we leave the old things behind. Because it's been stamped to tell us, "Die! It's finished. That's all behind us. It's done. The debt's been paid. Justice's been served." That's my past life. I am ready to begin a new life without carrying any of that baggage with me and start anew with Him. Second Corinthians five seventeen says that any man that be in Christ is a brand new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. And now. Everything that pertains to the forward movement of our life is of God. Everything that moves us forward is not of the sin we previously committed, but now everything moving forward is of God and pertains to our relationship with him as he sees it. He says your past is washed away. I look at Jesus when I look at your past and I see that to tell us die. And because of all that, I'm urging you forward from that into a bright future with me. Because the past without him was leading you down the wrong path. Now you have a future in relationship with him. Praise the Lord. And so the second part, or the second uh, point in the power of his resurrection is that relationship is restored. Relationship is restored. He created mankind to have fellowship with him, and sin broke that fellowship. Romans chapter 5 says that through one man, sin entered the earth, and it spread to every single person. So, say, well, that doesn't seem fair, but God knew that, so justice was served in that through one man, sin entered into the world, and not through a whole bunch of different ideas and different religions could it be solved. That wouldn't be fair, but it came through one man, and through one man, Jesus Christ, All can be made righteous. Come on, he says, I want to make you righteous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that word righteous mean? Restored to right relationship. Reconciled to right relationship. So in the power of the resurrection, he said, sin has been broken and now I embrace you with my love and I call you into right relationship. What is that right relationship? Romans chapter eight and verse 16 tells us what that right relationship is. He says, the spirit himself See, it's by that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwelling in us, that resurrection life, that resurrection power. It says that same spirit, that resurrection life of the spirit now bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we uh, we may also be glorified. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, we're children of God. He said, if we go ahead and lay down our own old life, the life that we suffered with, we just count it crucified, we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him in this new resurrection life. How are we glorified? He puts his spirit in us and he calls us sons and daughters. And not only are you a son and a daughter, but you are an heir. Come on now, you can be an heir and say, well, you know, my folks don't have nothing. It's not going to be a big deal when, when my inheritance comes. Listen, you're a child of God. God owns the world and the fullness thereof. He has a cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns it. And he says, you're an heir of mine. Everything that heaven has to offer, I bring to my sons and my daughters as heirs. He said, there's a relationship restored where you didn't feel like you had any relationship with God. You had to convince him to listen to you. You you couldn't go into his presence. He said, I've restored relationship and you don't have to convince me to do anything. And when Jesus died on the cross and he said it was finished, the partition, that wall, that veil representative of the sin and the partition that was between us and him. When Jesus said it is finished, that four inch curtain that was what? 30 feet high. Excuse me. I, I know that isn't the exact number, but it. I mean, it was thick and it was tall. Nobody could really penetrate it. And only the priest could go in one time a year to atone for the sacrifices. And when Jesus said, to Tetelestai, something supernatural happened, the hand of God came in and ripped that four-inch curtain that was keeping man out of his presence, ripped it from top to bottom. And he said, listen, that which kept you out because you were a foreigner and a stranger separated by sin, I've paid the price, I've restored relationship, now you're my children and you can come into my very presence You don't need somebody to come in for you. You come boldly to the throne of grace and you say, listen, I'm a child of God. And right there on that throne, right there on that mercy seat in front of your throne is the blood of Jesus, the price paid for me. And so now I recognize I'm a son or a daughter and I'm coming to you, daddy God, to understand your embrace and your plan for my life. Not as somebody who comes in as a worm, but somebody who comes in as a son or a daughter. He said he prepares a table. You know, when I go to my mom and dad's and they prepare a table. Man, I don't don't say, well, you know, I don't think I can sit at the table. In fact, you know, the Bible talks about when we're young, we're under a tutor. And, you know, at our our house, we have a a large family. So when you're a a youngster, you sit at the kid's table, (laughs) right? We call it the kid's table. But when you reach a certain age, you get to sit at the adult table. Right? And so everybody's like, really? Yeah, that's how it worked at our house. And it was cool because you had something to look forward to. But the first time I came of age, listen, I didn't look back at the kids' table and say, you know, I'm really not worthy. I'm still not feeling grown up enough. I'm going to sit at the kids' table. I said, thank God I get to sit at the adult table. I have arrived. And God is saying, listen, come on. Come on, you're not a foreigner or stranger anymore. You're not under that tutorage of the law where, where you always have to be over here. He said, just come on and belly up to the table. Come on, act like a son and act like a daughter. Not take for granted, not disrespectful. With all respect, he's the father, you're the son, you're the daughter. But you get to come up to the table and partake of everything that he has for you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, the resurrection offered us strength and power where we were powerless to live and to function without sin grabbing a hold of us and pulling us down. The resurrection offered power. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful or productive in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We think, wow, that's a lot to do. But he says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. There's a great life that stands ahead of us and there's a lot to do, but you're not going to do it in your own strength anymore. He's going to strengthen you with the power of the Holy Spirit to do And walk in this new life that he's provided for each and every one of us. He says this in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. He says that he he would grant to you or to me according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man where we feel like we can't make it, we might not get to the next place, he said the resurrection life of God will strengthen you to take the next step, strengthen you to not fall backwards into your sin, but strengthen you to move forward into this brand new life that he has created for you through his resurrection. Come on, lastly, because of that tetelestai, uh, the power of the resurrection is victory one. Victory won. Come on, we have won the victory. His victory is our victory. Come on now, if your team wins, if I ever watch you at a football game and your team wins and you shout, then I'm gonna say, what happened to your revelation? We have victory won. Our team wins. He's raised from the dead. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, who being, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Come on. Jesus said it's finished on the cross, but when he raised from the dead and sat down, he said now. Now. We're going to begin to execute victory on every front because I'm seated right here at the right hand of majesty and every single minute of every single day it says I'm sitting here to make intercession for you whatever your place is wherever the enemy seems to be gaining ground or gaining victory when you come into the presence and call upon me I'm standing between you and victory to make sure it happens he says I've got a hold of God and I've got a hold of your situation and I'm bridging the gap so that you can have victory in every situation and that's happened because he died and he raised from the dead and now he's seated right there ever living to make intercession and stand in the gap for you and I. Come on, we celebrate a powerful day in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It changed everything for all of humanity. First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, It is the power of God. That's why I don't care how many times you've heard it, how many times you've had an Easter message. This message is power to you to overcome whatever situation you have. The reminder that he died and paid the price he raised from the dead that you might have victory over sin and every strategy of the enemy exists today. It exists when you walk out this door that if you cling to him and hold to him, you will run into trouble, but you can go through that trouble with him and come out the other side victorious. And he declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, thanks be unto God who always, somebody say always. always, who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Come on, the power of the resurrection is that it took you from a place where you were dead in your trespasses and sins separate from God and made an avenue made you alive unto God. When it made you alive unto God, it restored a relationship that you're no longer a stranger out there, simply a servant, but you're a son and you're a daughter. Restored strength. He said, I don't know if I can live that life. I don't know if I can live up to it. You can't on your own. But he provided the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. He provided miracle working power for you to overcome things that otherwise could never be Overcome. So that you and I could have victory. We could have victory. That today we celebrate his victory, but his victory is our victory. Come on now. Somebody needs to just decide, you know what, I'm going to come up. You know, you see NFL players, they got all kinds. They, They figure out their victory dance. You know, they get a touchdown. They got some... we look at them, and you know, sometimes we're like, well, that's a little bit too much, but you know, we're all like, woo, that's our team. Look at them dance. Man, as believers, we need to come up with our victory dance. Every time the enemy comes and we rely upon that, we have some rejoicing. We have a dance. We get with our family. We get with our church family, and we rejoice in what God has done, and we acknowledge every good thing that he's done for us, and it puts us in a position. Our praise, our rejoicing, our acknowledgement of what Jesus has done on the cross positions us, as Alan said, it positions us in a place of victory because the Bible says that where he is seated, God has seated us with him in heavenly places. Father, we thank you so much for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a great day that we celebrate but we're not just celebrating we're acknowledging what you did for us we're so thankful that the price was paid in all of its facets in all of its ways you said to tell us that you just didn't say I'm done with this you said these things have been finished to the full and I'm so grateful I'm so thankful today is such a powerful day trust that I've shared what you put on my heart And right now, every head bowed and every eye closed in the congregation. I just want to ask you this question today. Have you ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? You might have been to Easter services before. You might have attended church for a long time. I grew up in church and went to church almost every Sunday, Sunday school every Sunday. When I was 15 years old, I realized I wasn't saved. I had never asked Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. At 15 years of age, I did that. I did that in a living room in a youth group. My life was changed forever. You may have gone to church all your life. You may have been brought up in church. You might have gone away from church. But today, you've heard the message of what Jesus did for you. You're not, you don't have to struggle anymore. You don't have to be concerned about the sin that you have previously committed or the mistakes that you've made. He paid the price, but he didn't just pay for the price for your sins so you could struggle after you made him Lord and struggle, but he gave you new life and he gave you a relationship and he bestowed upon you power and he declared that no matter what the enemy comes, the enemy will still come, but he's given you a place of victory over every strategy of the enemy and that all begins, that new life begins, the sins washed away when you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. As we read, the Bible says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. And now everything is about your relationship with God and the strength that he gives you to move through every single day of life. If you're here this morning and you say, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, today is your day. With every head bowed, every eye closed, not everybody's looking around to see who's doing what. It's between you and God right here, right now. I just want to help you pray. He says, if you'll acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you you I ask you today if you're here without Jesus I really ask you sincerely today don't leave here without making him the Lord of your life the Bible says that we're reconciled to him for a purpose that the old things can be passed away and new things can emerge and your very divine destiny and health and strength can be renewed for everyday life as you make him the Lord set yourself aside and say Jesus come in and be the Lord of my life If you're here today, just slip your hand up real quick. I want to pray with you today. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anybody want to join this Want to say, I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. Today is the day of salvation. I see that hand back there. Anybody else? Anybody else want to join these two? Once you put your hand up, I see that hand. Anyone want to join these three? Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Anybody else? I want to join these three. Say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Today is my day. Thank you, Lord. We're going to wait just, just 30 seconds here. 30 seconds. Don't let this go by. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, we've explained to you why it's not just some crazy religious idea, it's, it pertains to you and your eternity, no one else. Look around just here for 10 more seconds. If you're watching online, maybe you raised your hand. You said, today is my day. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Just help those who are here and just pray this from your heart. The Bible says that if we will confess Jesus as Lord of our life and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He'll come into your heart. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you that newness of life, and he'll walk with you every single day. So let's all pray this together. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning. Knowing of your love, I choose to lay my life aside and my ways of doing things aside. I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead so that I could be forgiven and restored to relationship. So this morning, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving my sin and making me whole once again. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. If you raised your hand for the first time or you did there, you can go on to our website, share your story. We want to send you a few books. If you are here, uh, we'll have altar workers up here. They just want to give you a little uh, packet Uh, So that we can help you get started in any way we can help you in this new journey There will be different times of obstacles, but he's there to give you the victory Now you received as you were coming in you received uh, your communion elements and so I want you to just take a time the Bible says that we should not eat or drink of communion in an unworthy manner And really if you just got made Jesus the Lord of your life this morning This will be the most awesome communion Because we're taking the representation of his body and his blood, that which was given for us. And we're consuming it. We're taking it into our own life and our own body. And the power of his death and the power of his resurrection is all represented in this communion that we take with him. So there's going to be a song. During this song, just examine your heart. If you've been away from God, just right here where you are, say, I'm coming back today, God. As I come back today, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I'm going to partake of this communion as a brand new start in living my life for you. If you say, you know what, I, I, I've just you know, struggled a little bit, just give that over to God. As we're singing the song, just give that to him and hold on to those elements and when the song is finished, we'll all partake of the communion together. He's alive. He's raised from the dead. Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He said, I delivered to you that which was given to me. And on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which was broken for you. We know that the Bible says that the entrance into the very presence of God is through that veil which is Jesus' broken body. That through his broken body access to health and healing is opened up to us in the presence of God. He declared that he had raised from the dead and that we were to partake of that which he had done for us in this form that truly we might identify Partake of that which he had done for us that it might truly from the inside out produce life and strength in us. So let's partake of the bread. It says in the same manner, he took the cup after cup after supper saying, this is the blood of the new covenant which was sealed in my blood. He said, now through my blood, there will be a new and better covenant, not a a covenant made with the blood of bulls and goats, but a covenant made with the precious blood of the Son of God, so that we enter into such a close, intimate, strong relationship with him through covenant, that everything that he has belongs to us, and everything that we have belongs to him, that we are united together with him in this life. And we proclaim, he said, that he is alive, and we continue to take this communion of what he's done for us and how we're living until he comes again, because he is coming again. Let's partake of the cup. Why don't you stand up with me. Father, we thank you for this great day of celebration. I pray that each and every person, Holy Spirit, you'd continue to go with them as they go from this place. Guide them, anoint them, strengthen them, reveal life to them every single day as they walk with you might experience the newness of life, the relationships of sons and daughters, that they might experience the strength that you have. And when attacks come and the enemy tries to bring them down, that they will stay with you and watch how you unfold victory to them. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We're going to sing one more song, but before we do, say this with me. What God did in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Fark siege. 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 Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall.